So the lecture you're about to hear is Psychology 3196, Human and Evolutionary Psychology, taught by me, Dr. Dave Broadback, here at Algoma University in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. Uh, this is for the fall term in 2022. I had to think about that. I just recorded this intro and said 2023, which is wrong. And then I dropped an F-bomb and... Uh, Probably not the best thing to do to start. Anyway, I uh, hope you enjoy it. Hope you get something out of it. And if you don't, well, that's on you completely. I kid. But it really is on you. All right, away we go. So uh, today I want to just introduce the topic and some very broad notions of what's important in just looking at, at like, what I'm basically trying to do in this here is to get some sort of general ideas that are sort of floating out there, out there to you, but also I want to get a basis for why you would do psychology like this, okay? So, So why would one study psychology from an evolutionary perspective? I have been asked. This is not something that, this is not just me making something up. I've literally been asked this question. Well, we're animals. I mean, the first thing you have to realize is that, you know, humans are just really cool, cognitively complex animals. And we study other animals using that, so why would we do that? I mean, that's the first thing I think that should come to mind. Darwin literally talked about or he used the word psychology. Uh, especially in Descent of Man, he used it in his emotions book. It's not in Origins, I don't think. But Darwin talked about the evolution of behavior, not just of physical form. And of course, you know that behavior comes from your brain and your brain evolved. So, of course. William James, who's likely, well, not likely, he's definitely the first person to publish a psychology textbook, Principles of Psychology, 1890, William James, Harvard professor, and brother of Henry James, the novelist, uh, talked about the evolution of behavior. He talked about an evolutionary approach to psychology. So this goes back to the oldest psychology textbook ever written. So it's not like people haven't thought about these things before. This is not a new, crazy, wacky idea I have here. Okay, this is something that people have been talking about for a long time. So, one of the things that people wonder about is doing stuff like this from an evolutionary you know, angle, evolutionary perspective. And people often say to me, well, Dave, psychology is a social science. And the first thing I say to them is, don't give me that social versus natural science garbage. Because I think it's an artificial distinction. Right? If you're using the scientific method to study something, and you can, you're doing science. I don't care if you're doing, if you're studying, I don't know, the behavior of people in crowds, or you're studying quantum mechanics. It's all science. It's funny, a lot of people talk about hard sciences have often said, you know, the sort of social science angle of things like psychology, which I don't do that kind of stuff, but I think that's hard because it's harder, you know? than say, doing say chemistry. Life sciences are harder than biology and chemistry because these are complex years. This is a complex set of equipment here. This is a little bit different than something like, you know, this is a solution. 
I have no issue with chemistry, by the way, or biology or anything else. Don't think there's anything. Most psychologists, uh, did I say that? Did we include the clinicians? Yes. What, uh, here, what people have called the standard social science model, that's a Steven Pinker uh, line. By the way, Steven Pinker blocked me on Twitter, and I don't know why. What did I do? I'm a good guy. I swear a lot. Beyond that. Anyway. So this affects research theories, hypotheses. I'll go into what that is in a second. But, and this is something people aren't necessarily aware of this. They won't call it this. But it's something that is done, yeah? So it's almost completely aligned with evolutionary theory and with reality in a lot of respects. This approach that I'll talk about in a second. Now I'll also say that uh, in our department, I don't think anybody adheres to this approach. I would, in fact, I would say that pretty clearly. Uh, at least the full-time people. I don't know all the part-timers. So I don't think I can say it in the mirror. Yeah. So what is the standard social science model? Now, I, you should understand the, standard, the idea of the standard social science model is kind of a straw man. So in other words, it's kind of a simplification that, I'm, that has been built up by people like, say, Steve Pinker to tear down. So it isn't, it's, this isn't something that people talk about who do work like this. And it doesn't invalidate their work either. It invalidates the theoretical underpinning of their work. Let's go with that. It doesn't mean the stuff they discover is bad. Okay, you want to be clear about that. So the first thing is, it's this, the idea of, this idea comes from this Picker's book, The Blank Slate. This is the idea that Everyone is equal, which they should be as far as rights and opportunities go, obviously. But it's also saying everybody's behavior and intelligence and every characteristic is simply the result of environmental influences and has nothing to do with biology. So you start as a blank slate and then experience rights on the slate. I think most of us can probably see this probably isn't really true. We'd like it to be true, it would be nice, but it's just... I can't see as well as you. No matter what you do, you can't make my vision better. I can't run as fast as, uh, who's the fast runner? You guys probably know what you're doing, I'm 57 years old, but, uh, who's the fast runner, what's his name? Uh, no matter how much training I get, <laughs> I can't run that fast. I can't stop clocks like uh, Carrie Price, probably retiring. And it will never happen. And even if you took me at the age of four and started firing pucks at me, which would be me, because I couldn't see them coming. Couldn't see them coming, no laughs, thank you. Um, it would start, I could actually, maybe I could just Let's see here. Okay, I put a laugh in. Hopefully that uh, everybody can hear that on the podcast. Anyway, we can't, and again, you gotta understand, this is about, isn't about opportunity or rights. It's about abilities. And when I say abilities, they don't have to be positive things, right? That's what I mean there. Okay, questions about that, does that make sense? And this, following from this then, biology is irrelevant, right? 
So if experience is all that matters, biology is nothing other than a blank slate for experience to write on. Yes? And if that's true, there must be very few or perhaps only one learning mechanism. That's the harder one, I think, for everybody to see. But if, if and the, the, the idea, though, is basically that everything is associate of learning. We associate x with y when x and y occur together. Which we do, by the way. That's not wrong. But it's not the only learning mechanism. Okay? So that's the basic assumptions of what Pinker's called the standard social science model. And as I said, it is a little bit of a straw man. You have to understand that. All right. Questions? Good so far? So why is this wrong? Well, development needs biology. Anybody here a biology student or a biologist? Or maybe one, that's good. A couple, we're good. Uh, so when you hear a language, you learn that language when you're a kid. Nobody has to sit you down and teach you language when you're a kid. When you're older, how many of us here have attempted to or have learned a second language? OK, there's a few of us. Did you do that as an adult? Oh, very good. It's hard, isn't it? Even when you're surrounded by the language as an adult, it's hard. You never get the accent quite right. Sometimes you think of a weird word choice you make. Everybody understands you, it's no problem, but you still sit there thinking, I, still, I know I sound like I don't really speak this. It's like when I'm speaking French with my in-laws. I get, we get on phone, I, speak, I talk, they listen, they understand. Been married for 30 some odd years, like literally so long, I can't remember how many years it is. 30, oh my god, it's just 30. We've been together longer than that. 34 years. Holy jump. Um, it's well past my in-laws just nodding politely and thinking they like that's <laughs> those days are long gone. I can talk to them, they understand me, but I know that I sound unless I've had enough to drink, uh, I just sound like an Anglo speaking right. Which is fine, But you maybe had to take classes to learn a foreign language. It's hard. Except when you're a little kid. When you're a little kid, you just talk to a little kid and they just talk back to you. Unless there's some developmental issue. And they learn language. They just do. Your mom or dad didn't have to sit you down at, let's say, 18 months. Right? So it's a year and a half. And teach you that this, they didn't say, okay, now sit down. Okay, this is a chair. A chair. A chair. You don't do that. Now and then, the kid will point at something. And when little kids don't know what things are, what they do, they point and they kind of whine. You go, if you say juice, it'd give you a glass of juice. Juice. Okay, here's some juice. There's a little bit of awkward conditioning in there, but you don't have to do too much. Not like learning the second language as an adult. We're built to learn languages. We're not built to learn English, for example, or French, or whatever. We're built to learn human language. There's a special language learning module or mechanism. And no matter how many hockey stats I flash at you as a little kid, you will not become a hockey stats expert by the time you're four years old. Believe me, I tried. What you will become is a kid who hates their father. But still, 
kidding. Children might be just fine. Because we have a system that makes that happen. But we have a system that's ready for input. It's like language. You just learn things. It's, it's very cool. Why is that? Well, again, because we have a special system for learning language. It is a volume. Yeah, please back up. So does the uh, standard social science model. There you go. Yep. Standard social science model. Does it assume that like uh, learning is a constant, like the rate of learning is constant? That's a good question. Uh, that's a really neat question, actually. Because if, if, if it doesn't agree with development, right, that, that well, it does, stages, yes. then... That's a really good question. I don't know that it has an answer to that question, but I'm going to look, I'm going to see if I can find that out, because that's a really cool question. I've never been, never, I've literally never thought of it before. I guess it would depend on how you're measuring learning. Too. I feel like that's a big hole in the theory, right? Because oh, I think it is too. That's what that's 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 the cool thing. I, I think you're correct. That it's a really big hole that you could drive a truck through. Yeah. It almost has to be, doesn't it? Yeah, because we can clearly see that kids learn thing, things at different rates compared to adults. So. Yeah, but that's all then because of their environment. That's that's the argument. I don't think that's true. So some of it's their environment, obviously. That's really a, that's a really cool, that's, I'm glad this is being recorded because I'm, I'm going to probably use that in the future. And I'll give you credit, man. Yeah, that's probably, I would do some thinking about this, but this is, that's really cool. Here's another example. Why can't my mom's, da my mom's daughter learn to speak English? I didn't say understand, sit down. I didn't say understand that it, you call it when, when you grab the, the leash and one knows it wants to go for a walk. I mean, why can't my mom's dog literally talk and understand English like Brian the dog on Family Guy? Because he's a freaking dog. That's why. And dogs don't have this special mechanism for learning language. Now, it's not all humans. Other animals are special, too. Why can't you remember where you cached 30,000 seeds in a 40-kilometer radius six months ago? Because you're not a Clark's Nutcracker. They can do that. Clark's Nutcrackers store around 30,000 seeds in the fall in about a 40 kilometer radius and are able to recover about 25,000 of them six months later. You can't do that. You know, you know what humans can do that? We've invented writing, <laughs> GPS. Like, you, could, you could do it, but you couldn't just do it without all the things humans invented. You know, humans can't fly, but you know what we can do? Invent planes. That's kind of cool. Right? So there's such a thing as human nature is basically what I'm saying. In fact, I'm kind of I'm thinking of having this course name changed to Evolution of Human Nature. I think that's what it's called at Western, and my daughter teaches the class, and I think that's kind of a cool name. So that brings up the idea of nature versus nurture, and the sort of standard social science approach to everything divides nature and nurture into two things. And this is the notion that we can say it, this is something that comes from the environment, this comes from genetics or whatever. If you've got any background at all in biology, you know this is crazy. You can't have one without the other. 
That would be insane, right? So this is the idea of the interaction principle, the idea that genes don't do things in a vacuum and environments don't exist without genetics. Environments that we care about. Yes, there is the cold blackness of space, I get that. But environments that living organisms live in have there are genetic effects on them. And can't pull them apart. And genes don't set some kind of limit, they just interact with the environment. Now, can you determine what's called the heritability of something? The heritability of human height is about 0.8. All that means is that 80% of the variance in human height overlaps with the variance in genes. But it doesn't mean that all my height up to my neck is from my mom and dad, and then everything from here up is the environment. That's crazy. The world isn't that simple. Heritability is a real thing, and we can actually calculate it, but it doesn't mean, and I think the biologists in the room know this, it doesn't mean what people think it means. It's a, it's a, it's a quantity that's calculated about variance, sure variance. It's not about how much Something is caused by one thing or the other. So learning needs a mechanism. It has said there would be more than one, but let's just go with one. It needs to have mechanisms that are biological mechanisms that cause changes in behavior when the environment interacts with them. And that's making it very simple. It's clearly more complicated than that. I'm still sitting here thinking about this constant learning. It's such a good point. So we can't study behavior in a vacuum. And I mean that obviously figuratively, not literally. Um, we can't ignore biology. It would be just odd. It would be a strange choice to ignore biology in a living thing. Exempting the behavior of organisms from the principles of biology is exempting the behavior of atoms from the principles of physics. So, for example, humans are social animals. We're one of the most social animals out there, other than, you know, bees and wasps and things like that that are super organized. But as far as, like, mammals, we're, I'd say we're the most social of the mammals. Most social of the primates, easily. That didn't just happen. It had to have evolved, yeah? And did, let's look at the evolution of sociology. That's awesome. What a fun thing to think about. How our ancestors, hundreds of thousands of years ago, how the ones who were social are the ones who passed their genes on and ended up with all of us. And the ones that weren't very social, when I say not very social, look, I don't like people very much. You get to be, you know, 57, you start realizing, you know, most of you people are pissing me off. So you really curate who you hang out with. But I still go do things and have fun. Some people say, oh, you're not very social. Well, maybe not, but look at the people in the room. I'm social. So something that isn't social is something that lives a life completely alone of things from its species, right? Except for mating. Clearly, that's not the case with hardly any people. Let's look at the, it's great stuff, and we will talk about that in the course. 
Alright. Question. Yeah? You're not gonna answer this point? No, we're good? Okay. So there's four, this guy Nico Tinberg talked about what he called the four whys, which are to understand any kind of biological characteristic, we have to understand four different kinds of things. They talk, he talked generally about what he called proximate and ultimate explanations. I don't like this word, ultimate, very much, but it's the word that's used. It makes it sound like it's better than proximate, and it's no better. It just means longer term. So the first one is development, change over time. That's what's called a proximate mechanism. A proximate mechanism is something that happens within the animal's lifetime. The animal is human, but it could be a slug. Whatever. Physiology, this is again a proximate mechanism. So this is just your wiring. So learning fits in with development, but it also fits in with physiology because there's certain physiological basis to how learning works. We don't really know what it is yet. We've got some pretty good ideas, but those are the proximate ones. Then there's the ultimate explanations, which are historical explanations. Things like, uh, let's see if I have an example here that I want to use. No, I don't. Okay. So this is the history of the trait. This is not easy to figure out, by the way. One of the things about behavior, and we're interested mostly in cognition behavior, we're supposed to be psychologists, we're interested in that. Behavior isn't fossilized extremely well. Like it just doesn't. Does it sometimes? Oh yeah, I mean it does, it's awesome. Footprints, things like that. There's one of my favorite fossils, is a, there's a site, this may be mentioned in that documentary, I want you to watch this one. There's a site in Africa, where we all, all way back come from, and it was mud, obviously, and then it was some kind of disaster and we end up with these, these, these uh, human footprints. And from the footprints, uh, this, I usually get really emotional about this because I'm a parent, so I'm just going to... Okay. Uh, it's uh, a mother. They, you say, how can they tell that from the feet? Well, there's shapes of feet. And I don't know. I just, I, I figure archaeologists, paleontologists, what they're doing so they can tell me it's invisible. And she's walking with a kid beside her because we can see the little feet. Now even I can think of that. But because of the way the different amounts of weight are put on the feet. She's holding the kid's hand, and those footprints are 500,000 years old. Like, if that doesn't, I, that just moves the hell out of me. Like, it means a lot to me that people, before they were human, that's probably not even a human. That's some other hominid. Could be a human, but I can't remember the whole there's the caves in Africa, uh, sorry, Spain. You're in Africa, southern part of Spain. I forget the name of the caves, but um, where there are cave paintings. And on the wall, the artist put his hand and he's blown ochre. You know, this is a spy, red, uh, red powder. He's left his signature. 18,000 years old. This is before any of our people, and I can see people in this room that come from all over the world. 
for any of us. Any of our ancestors lived in cities, or towns, or anything. We had a much different life than we would have today. But that person signed their art. Like, that's really cool. Like, uh, that's just, so behavior sometimes kind of does fossilize, but usually it doesn't. But then we can look at, oh, we can see that people have been doing, for example, holding hands with their kids, so they'll be considered parental care. I can tell you the parental care. I can look at burial sites of not even humans, but ho other hominids. Well, I guess if you want to call it not age sapiens, so some people call them other humans. There are clearly burial rituals. People lined up and covered when they're buried. That says that people think there's an afterlife, right? Because if you just think they're dead, screw them. Why would you just, well, okay, see you later. The people took time to have what looks like a funeral. Pretty amazing. So sometimes it does fossilize, doesn't it? It doesn't fossilize well, typically, behavior. And then finally, the selective pressures. Why do humans have big brains? Well, we'll get into that eventually, but partly it's probably had something to do with us standing up on two feet. Why do we have a level of awareness, if you want to go with that, or consciousness, or sentience, or that other animals just don't? It probably has something to do with our ancestors having lived in trees. It's such a long explanation that I'm going to wait till we get there, because I don't want to spoil another lecture. But we can make some guesses about the selective pressures in the past that so to totally understand a behavior, Ken Bergen says we need to understand all these things. These first two are develop the development and just see if that works still. I haven't done this in a long time. Whoops, I don't want that there. No, no. Oh god, now the whole world's falling apart. something else by the way just because it says ultimate doesn't mean it better it just it's it's a weird word choice that was made and I wish it wasn't made I really do wish they just would have said uh, functional and causal is another one you hear sometimes and that would be these here are functional that's the development uh, development of genetics uh, physiology I'm sorry and then historical that's so this would be causal and these are functional Psychology is uh, concentrated on the proximate mechanisms. There's nothing wrong with that, it's just it's leaving out half the story. That's all, it's just, we left out half the story. So, human nature is something that people talk about. People talk a lot about Margaret Mead and how she found all of it. Uh, things were extremely, what's the word I'm looking for? 
malleable and different cultures were different. Different cultures are different, and that's what makes being a human kind of fun and frustrating at times, of course, too. Um, but she said basically everything was environmental. And so everything was cultural, everything was social, nothing was biological. Now, this had a big effect on anthropology, sociology, psychology, to quote the social sciences. But the only problem is that it's not entirely true. So the world isn't quite as simple as she made it. I'm not saying that she did bad work, it's not true. I'm saying some of her interpretations were reading stuff out. But on purpose, I'm not, I don't think she had an agenda at all or anything like that. And when you're a pioneer, you usually have to simplify things. You just do. That's how it works, typically. There is the idea, I like the idea of what are called universal people, that despite the fact that we're different, right? And I'm guessing we've got maybe at least three countries of origin in here, like where you're born. And culturally different, yet we're basically the same. There's way more similarity than difference. Like, people, nobody says, yeah, well, in my culture, after you, um, you mate, you, the, the woman uh, kills the man and eats him, like a praying mantis. You ever heard that one? No, we all pretty much have, that, that's roughly the same. Everybody raises kids. Now, there are sex differences there and all those things, but there are no cultures that say, yeah, we just take all the kids and uh, screw them. We don't do that, right? And you might say, what about Sparta? Yeah, that's, the world wasn't nearly as simple as people, like Herodotus made it out to be when he wrote about Sparta, okay? There's always somebody, what about the 300? Well, the first part was that that was a movie. And secondly, that's not really how the Spartans did it. Also, they didn't have a giant hole in the middle of the city. They threw guys down. Again, was a movie. Cool movie. Still just a movie. There is, there's human nature, there are universal people. Like, people, I can say things about people. I can say that memory works the same way in everybody in this room. I'm guessing, depending, there could be somebody here that's a little bit different possible. But you have the same memory systems, we all do. If you want to know more about memory systems, psychology 3717, next term, memory. It's with me, it'll be awesome. So now, just because it's human nature, doesn't mean things are unchangeable, obviously, right? We've got thousands of years of evidence. We have different cultures that are different from each other. The differences are less interesting to me than the similarities, to be honest with you, because I think also the similarities make us realize that we're all one people and that's a cool thing. But it doesn't mean things are unchangeable. They are changeable. We could talk, and I mentioned this before, variability in environment, environments and variability in, in genes and how that relates to the variability in a characteristic of what we're interested in. But remember, it's a statistical concept about populations. It's not about individuals. And of course, it's the interaction of these things. 
is the key. There's this great quote that you'll see later on in the course, but I'm going to tell it to you now, and that's that trying to determine how much of a biological trait or any characteristic is due to genes and how much is due to the environment. It's like trying to determine how much of the area of a football field is due to its length and how much is due to its width. You can with that for a second, but uh, you can't have length without width, you can't have width without length. You can't have area without both of those things. Book? No, what am I saying? The, um, we'll talk about, editing that. There's a lot of stuff on violence, for example. So I can tell you about it now. I'll talk about it later in the course. But there is, we can look at most violent crime is committed by people to people they know. And most violent crime is men fighting men and hurting men they know. And that's pretty much a cultural universal. Is that, does that have something to do with the fact that if they're young men, hmm, the most common reason two men one man kills another man. Over women. And I know that women don't like that, by the way. There's always this thing in like pop culture, women are like, ooh, he's fighting over me. I don't know a single woman that thinks, oh, that's hot. I mean, there are, there must be, there's eight billion of us, there's gotta be a couple. But what men are doing, and they don't know they're doing this! It's not like a men, young men your age walk around like, I have to go fight over resources for females. Anybody who does that's a weirdo, you gotta stay away. You know, it's like, get away from me, man. But animals do this. The cool thing is if you know this, and you realize you're doing it, you're like, oh, I'm not gonna behave like that today. The cool thing about knowing things like this is you can say, oh, that's shitty behavior, and I'm not gonna behave like a shitty person today. Right? So violence is a great example here, but you know, most violence is committed by men towards other men. Because men are idiots. Uh, Oh, Killer Sperm's wonderful. Great example. Okay, this is work that was done in the 90s. Um, men. Okay, let's go. Okay, let's go. So let's go. Men who are sleeping with, or, or you know, somebody else who isn't their partner. They have more killer sperm in their ejaculate in men who are not cheating on themselves. In fact, the way this stuff was done, ads were put in the paper saying, are you having an affair? Would you like to be in the study? So they collected sperm from men who were sleeping with their wives, because whatever, and on men who were sleeping with somebody who was not their wives, and not in a relationship. I mean, it's a relationship, it's just not one they want to get out. Remember in health class, in high school, in elementary school, you learned about sperm and you were told that there were so many that were misshapen and they had funny looking tails and stuff. You know what those are? Most of them are actually there to kill other guys' sperm. They're sperm. It's called sperm competition in, in vivo, inside the woman. Do you think men know that? when they're having affairs? 
I don't think they do. And in fact, I think most men when they're sleeping with some other woman that isn't their partner, don't watch how you get pregnant. And they're wearing a condom anyway. How the hell do you think they collected that? Like, look that I held it up like I'm pandemonium holding a condom full of someone else's. Anyway. They're not trying. But you know what? What's the function of sex? Maybe maybe. Excellent side effect. A lot of fun. But the function of it really is to be paid. Oh, not just the men. The women who are sleeping when they're having sex with their husband and they're having an affair, their vaginal secretions are more acidic when they're sleeping with their husband. They're trying to kill their husband's sperm. Do they know they're doing this? Well, clearly not. Do they want to get pregnant by another? No. Weird stuff, right? Great example. That's all, that's human nature. We're hooked up that way. We don't even know it. Yeah, please go ahead. So I'm guessing we're probably going to cover this later in the meeting and stuff. But it has to be an evolutionary purpose. Yeah, well, the purpose here is that extra paracopulations, this is what we call this in animal behavior, are for making babies. That's what they're there for in everything else. And sometimes they're forced copulations, like every single duck meeting. If you want to get upset about how animals are horrible, read about duck mating. It's all rape. I'm serious, by the way. It's creepy, that's true. Ducks are awful. Makes me feel not so bad when people shoot ducks. It's like, yeah, but he's probably a rapist. You can't relate to human, you know, morality on it, but it's true. But yeah, the evolutionary purpose for this, the function of this, is the extra population is to make babies because the man is more attractive to the woman for any other reason. And the woman's more attractive to the guy. This isn't a one-way street on Yeah, that's fascinating stuff, and it's wild. Because you don't, it's, and it goes against the, literally, it's the opposite of what one would want when one is having an affair. I don't want, I shouldn't say why, I don't, screwing around my life, but I mean, you don't want another kid. Especially when you go, I don't know where that one came from. Obviously a miracle. Wild stuff. Another thing you have to be careful about here is what's something called the naturalistic fallacy. Just because something is, say, quote, genetic or has an evolutionary history doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it wrong either. Just because something is, quote, natural doesn't make it good. It just is. You could say that it's entirely natural that people kill each other because we've been doing it forever. I don't like it very much. Warfare is natural. Groups of humans have been fighting each other since we're humans. We've got evidence of cracked skulls that are hundreds that are like millions of years old. Chimps fight wars. They don't plan them very well, and a lot of the wars involve poop and then throwing sticks and rocks. They don't you know, have high Mars rockets. But, we fight worse. Is that good? Well, no. It's like when people say, you know, I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to take acid because it's not natural. I just do shrooms. Oh, I see you're an idiot. My response to that usually is, you know, something natural? Poo. It's totally natural. But remember, science is amoral. 
So knowledge, as if you can use it for good and bad. Now, for example, society has, for the most part, cool, you know, figured out that monogamy, or that figured out is the wrong way to put it, has made a determination that monogamy is cool and, and, and polygamy, either polygamy or polyandry, isn't. I don't know why we did this, but we did. We just don't think we do, typically. There are people in polyamorous relationships, and I'm not making any judgment of that whatsoever. If that's your thing, you do that. But polygamy, which is one man, many women, we've determined that, eh, we don't like that very much. In fact, it's illegal, isn't it? Thing is, uh, humans are probably naturally, naturally polygamous. Even in a monogamous society like we have, we can look at the average number of sex partners a man has versus a woman in their lifetime, and men have more. And again, this would be Western Europe. Eh, it's not just. This is the world. I shouldn't just say Western Europe, North America. That's pretty universal. Pretty universal. And it's pretty universal that people say that monogamy make laws. They make laws typically, not everyone. But we've turned something, like we've made, now we say that we, we don't like that. We think it, we, we've determined somehow that that's immoral. And again, I'm not judging it in the way, but I'm saying we, we as a society, and it was, I don't think it would insulted us, but you know what I mean, say it's immoral. We're probably hooked up to be polygamous. Probably are. But it doesn't mean we behave that way, and it doesn't mean it's right. It doesn't mean it's wrong, it just means it is. Okay. Most of us are faithful when we're in anonymous relationships. So the uh, most recent data I've seen suggests that 95% of people in committed relationships have been faithful within the last year. Uh, that's American data, but we can see it's in So most of us are very faithful, even though that we might be quote, hooked up to not be wrong. All right, so some conclusions for today. What we call the era of evolutionary adaptation, EEA. That's when before we were in towns, back when we were all hunter-gatherers. That seriously affected us because evolution works slowly compared to human advancement in things like societal organization. When I say human advancement, I immediately think of Civilization VI to be in the opening scene of the movie. advancement. Anybody else play Civ VI? Oh, just me. Good, so that's a reference no one got. Thank you. Um, all I do now. My Xbox has become a Civilization box. It's just, I've been playing Civilization since like, it's the 80s. Anyway. Basically, generals are always fighting the last war. So you always hear about how, you know, we thought it was going to go like this, and that was a whole different thing. <coughs> Russia. So, you're always in the past. Always in the past. Because that's all you can do. You don't know the future. So you're always kind of fighting the past, the last war. You're always, we're ready for, we're ready to fight. Think about this. You ever been in line at a store? 
and you're waiting for the bus, you just want a chocolate bar, I don't know, or a pack of cigarettes if you smoke or whatever, and you know the bus is coming in like two minutes, and there's somebody in front of you and they're buying lottery tickets. And they're like, no, okay, two of those. No, one of those. Oh, two of those. Oh, no, not that one. You touched it. So that one. And then I want to win. I want Terrio. I want to play the, play the encore. <laughs> I just want to change the encore. You do that in the store, that you get served with papers. They keep you in the store. But still, and you get this anxiety. And your heart beats faster, and your, your pupils dilate, and blood rushes to your muscles so you can fight them and, or, or run away. And it's because somebody in front of you is buying lottery tickets. That's because you have a Stone Age mind, and we live in a civilized place, and they fight all the time. When you can realize that, go up. Oh, that's, that's me being ready to kill the saber-toothed tiger, except it's just some idiot buying lottery tickets. I probably don't need the chocolate bar. <laughs> you know? Don't forget about the levels of, the different levels of explanation, proximate over, that's one of the key things to take away today. Uh, and just because something is, quote, biological, doesn't make it right or wrong. Again, that's a naturalistic fallacy, it just is. Okay? Any questions for today? Are we good? All right. Thanks, everybody. These are godless times, Mrs. Snell. I'll drink to that.
So thanks for listening uh, to the lecture. Uh, I hope you got something out of it, as I noted in the intro. Um, these are copyrighted, uh, share like 3.0 Canada, uh, some rights reserved, so you can redistribute this all you want, but if you redistribute it, uh, you can't make any money off of it. Uh, and also, uh, if you mash it up, I get to mash up your stuff. Uh, most of the mu the vast majority of the music I found was on an old website called GarageBand, which doesn't exist anymore, uh, and that was called Podsafe Music. So this is all music that I have, uh, that it's perfectly reasonable to... Uh, put on these podcasts. Uh, if you are interested, I can oftentimes find the, the name of the band. The name of the band will be listed in the post. And uh, go look these bands up and, and buy their music, because um, if they're cool enough to let me use this, you should be cool enough to pay 99 cents or whatever to buy one of their songs. Uh, on that note, I will see you next time. <laughs>